This is case 65 in Shoyoroku. The point. Ta! Ta! Whoop! Whoop! Crump! Crump! Grumble! Grumble! Puff! Puff! Zing! Zing! Vast and day. Impossible to chew. Difficult to approach. Tell me, what is this all about? The case. The monk asked Shushan, what is Buddha? Shushan said, a new bride rides the, the donkey. Her mother-in-law leads it by the bride. The verse. When the bride rides the donkey, her mother-in-law leads it by the bridle. The appearance is graceful and truly natural. How laughable. The girls in the neighborhood imitate a frowning face. This simply adds ugliness for other people. It never makes them beautiful. It's not measured at all. All there is ever is commitment to practice, showing up, and showing up begins today, here. Showing up to what? That's the question. And this morning here, very interesting. A couple of people were going to come, were planning to come, didn't. And then a couple of people that we did not know will show up, showed up. It's quite fascinating how the winds move and how we are moved by the winds. What brings us all here together? What takes us away from this? This being the practice. What's moving us? What's uniting us? Well, last Saturday, <coughs> I led a Zazukai at Shobaji. This is the traditional Rinzai temple in Manhattan, some of you know about. It's under the umbrella of the Zen Study Society. Yogan, Keiichi, and Boyan were also there to participate. In. It's a great experience. And this is the Zendo I, I visit. I've been visiting once a month for maybe a year and a half now. And uh, during each visit, 
I have the opportunity to give basic instructions for beginners, meet with senior practitioners, and offer a patient. And every time I go, I, I find this connection, educational, helpful, enlightening, right, to learn about more about the beautiful and skillful tradition of the Rinza school. To, to see what we can learn, what we can uh, incorporate, so we can understand what, again, what is uniting us. I think we all benefit from wisdom. And during the Zazika, I had the privilege to officiate uh, over a traditional morning service and a memorial service for Yogen Senzaki. And it was interesting to learn on the fly and again to see how different and the same it is. Beyond the aspect of learning about skillful training methods, which some were already have incorporated, you know, interlaced into our practice. Beyond that, it is remarkable to encounter how in essence, in essence, the way truly has no northern or southern ancestors. You know, how the different Buddhist tradition that are left practicing today, they vary. But what we all practice doesn't. What we encounter and how to remedy doesn't vary. All Buddhist practices begin from a baseline of a deep trust in an unconditional perfection, an inherent unsurpassed beauty that shines forth in all creation regardless of whether or not we are in touch with it. And the other thing we have, we all have in common, all traditions have in common, is the challenge practitioners experience when trying to recognize this inherent beauty on a personal level. The turmoil the difficulties. Now we all know that we are supposed to trust this and lead a life that is in alignment with the fundamental truth of our existence. And yet, we all find it extremely difficult. Even after years of dedicated practice, we still manage to get caught up this intricate web of concepts and doubts. And sometimes practitioners ask, especially after practicing for a while, for years, why am I not seeing the bright light of enlightenment? Why am I still feeling trapped after so many years of training? 
many dialogues I have with students, I often encounter the, the lots of frustration and insecurities. And the more I listen, the more I bear witness to those expressions, the more clearly I see how essentially we create our own obstacles. We manufacture the problem, the problems, and then spend years trying to solve it. Sometimes decades. Sometimes we never arrive at the place of recognizing that we are the problem and the solution. It's a package deal. So the question, why am I not seeing the bright light of enlightenment, is in fact the reason the light does not penetrate deeply. And the question, why am I still feeling trapped after so many years of, of training, of practice, is the reason I'm feeling trapped and cannot experience freedom. Not that it's not available. I just don't see it. And the question, why am I so doubtful and insecure, is born out of self-concerned thinking. And because of that, it's creating further self-concerned thoughts that, of course, lead to fearful speech, fearful actions. Very interesting design, actually, of a system that keeps itself alive. It arises out of that, out of that disease, and it perpetuates the disease it comes out of. And it is a loop. And I think we know it. If we are honest, we know that. We get trapped, we get out of it, only to get trapped again. Monk once asked Yunnan, how should one act during every hour of the day such that the ancestors are not let down? Right? How can I accomplish the way? Right? Let me chant that, too, to accomplish the way, to show gratitude to our ancestors. And Newman said, give up your efforts. Give up your efforts. Stop trying. So the monk said, how should I give up my efforts? And Newman said, give up the words you just uttered. Don't ask. By asking, you trap yourself. By asking, you go against the answers. So what Yunnan is telling us is to go home and see that peace in, in what Master Bankei called the unborn. The unborn and the undying. And the unborn is encountered before the mind moves and produces questions. 
and of course before we utter them. So give up the words you just uttered and you will encounter the unborn. Are we willing to do that? Question, are we willing to let go of asking? Are we willing to go home? Before we create conceptual waves, get caught up in them, and before we spend years trying to maneuver around what we create, or maybe after we spend years trying to maneuver, maybe then we can realize, I don't want to do it anymore. Enough is enough. The introduction to this poem pointer begins with some really unusual expressions. Tut, whoop, crumb, grumble, puff, zing. And in fact, these are not just made up sounds. Same word with this crow. It's not just made up sound. There's a meaning. Tut. Is an expression of disapproval. Whoop is a loud expression of excitement, of joy or joy. Crump is a loud and sudden sound. Grumble means complain. Puff is a burst of wind. Zing is a burst of energy or enthusiasm. Or at least the dictionary says. So why these expressions? Why are they brought up in the introduction? What they have to do with this coin or with the practice? And it says after that, impossible to chew, difficult to approach. Impossible to chew, difficult to approach, then how do I approach? With what mind do I try to unpack it, to figure it out? What do I turn to? Oh, many books, lectures, talks, discussions, and of course, unceasing mind that produces one thought after another, after another, after another. But these, these are just sounds of everyday life. Like the crow, just flew by. And these sounds, they often fly below the radar of our conceptual minds. And at best, at best, we recognize them as mundane and uninteresting. Or maybe they spark a discussion, which we find a lot more interesting than who cares? So we go for we go for the words. We go to the words that, of course, spark our intellectual curiosity, excite the mind. So words and discussions are inevitable, unavoidable. And it's okay. It's not wrong to talk. It's not wrong to read. But we have to do it. We have to turn to the words 
knowing how to not get caught up or entangled by them, and then tie ourselves into a big knot, which we try to be released from. I was involved in a few days ago in this discussion, panel discussion about Aikido and the Dharma. It's an international, interesting discussion with two other teachers, and there were a bunch of people uh, listening to this live, watching it live, and then asking questions. And the question we had to do with there was a, it was a 10 day thing, and uh, each panel had to do with different aspects of Aikido training, and this one, dealt with the question, does Aikido need the Dharma? That's a good question. Right? Do we need to practice? As Aikido practitioners, do we need to include Zen? Another thing to, to practice, to bring into our busy lives. But the question itself, it's a good question, but the question itself He's already creating complications. Because if we, if we ask this question, then we don't see that the question is not substantiated. We don't see that we're asking, does it need itself? We don't see how ridiculous we are. Because to see how ridiculous we are would mean to stop churning. Would mean to not feed intellectual curiosity. Would mean to be quite fine with staying with the crow as it flies by. And to recognize home. Neither Aikido, it's not the Dharma. Those are words. Good words, if they shine light on what they're pointing or towards. Otherwise, uttering the words is becoming a story that some of you know in Wotan.com. Actually, it appears also in our miscellaneous con, the story about Master Kyogen, Kyogen's spiritual journey, as he studied with Isa. And Kyogen was apparently a very intelligent and highly educated person. But, based on the stories, his knowledge was a hindrance. And it took him a very long time to realize that. So Isan, of course, knew his student well, said to Kyogen one day, what is your essential face before your father and mother were born? And Kyogen couldn't answer on the spot, so he went back to his books to look for the answer. And he searched through all his books, sutras, lectures, notes, right, for quite a while. He looked for a passage he could use as an answer to bring back to Isa. And he kept going back to Isa, and every time he went back, Isa said no. So he went back to the books. 
going on and on and on until one day came to Isha and said, I don't know the answer. Please tell me what it is. Then Isha said, it would not be so difficult for me to tell you, but it will only be my expression and will not satisfy your quest. You will come back with the same questions, the same kind of questions later. Because it will arouse your intellectual curiosity. So this, this discussion, this dialogue, led Kyogen to despair. And so he went back to his books and he burned them all, all the notes, all his books, saying paper cakes will not satisfy one's hunger. Look great. Got to eat something. So he gave up. He gave up on ever being able to come to true knowledge of Buddhism in his life. And he vowed to spend the rest of his days seeking peace of mind in manual labor. In this depressed state, he left Isan and retired to a place of uh, in Nanyu, where the national teacher Echu had once lived in Hermitage, and he took care of the grave, actually. He built a little hut, lived there alone, took care of the grave, grew some vegetables, gave up. So one day, one day as he was clearing the undergrowth, he was sweeping the ground. A pebble bounced off the tip of his broom and resounded against a bamboo tree. Hearing the sound, Kyogen suddenly experienced great enlightenment. He returned to his hut, offered incense in profound gratitude, made prostrations in the direction of, in which Isan lived, saying, Master, your kindness is far deeper than of that my father and mother. If you had explained these things to me at that time, I would never have come to this wonderful joy. Of course, he couldn't see it back then. He was disappointed that Isan didn't give him an answer. Is that was Isan being kind by rejecting? Was he rejecting? Was he refusing? Is there greater compassion than to be turned away by a teacher? At the moment you, you, you are told to go away or to not come or to do something else, you don't feel that. And if that robs you of practice, that's a shame. If we don't see that those challenges are actually exactly what we need on the path. It's fuel, it's coal to keep you warm, to keep things going. So he's... he's uh, path, this journey, was quite interesting in the way that it 
He gave up completely. And then by giving up, he wasn't searching. He was actualizing. But he didn't know what he was actualizing. You know, we say realization and actualization. Now, this is actualization and then realization. There's no order in that. Because the non-dual. We don't know. We really don't know that everything we do is it. Every action is the life of the Dharma. We don't know that. So we live as if we're not realized. Until we realize it, and then we live as if realized. Nothing changes. And everything changes. Risa then composed a verse, which is actually found in our miscellaneous poems. He said, the sound of something struck, and I've forgotten all I knew. Training was not even temporarily necessary. In movement and deportment, I manifest the ancient way, and fall not into possible pessimism. Nothing of me remains behind when I pass, in speech and manner, free of dignity. All those who have reached this state of knowledge by experience, by experience, without exception, tell of the supreme activity potential. All those who have reached this state of knowledge by experience, not by accumulating words, books, knowledge, lectures, the supreme activity potential through their actions, whether alone or with others. And later he created a koan out of this, of his own experiences of entanglement. And he said, he's like a man up a tree. The famous koan, hanging from a branch <coughs> by his mouth. His hands cannot grasp a branch. His feet won't reach a bow. Suppose there is another man under the trees asking him, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? It's the meaning of Buddhism. What is Buddha? If he does not respond, he goes against the wish of the questionnaire. If he answers, he will lose his life. At such a time, how will he respond? And he described what he felt. Being trapped, not, knowing to, not being able to answer. Simple question. What was your original face? Why? And it's what we do. This is a good description of how we tie ourselves up in a conceptual knot. And then we try to get out of that by seeking more concepts. By thinking maybe the rope is not the right rope. Monk in this koan is asking Shushan, what is Buddha? What is Buddha? And it, the question is a wonderful question. We should bring it up. 
But is he ready this month to give up the ground on which he stands and to have his world turned upside down or right side up? Are we ready? Realization is never out of reach or complicated matter, nor is it easy or simple. These are just words that describe what we feel and think about it. Difficult or easy doesn't mean anything about what we describe. very self-centered, very self-concerned. In fact, easy or difficult separate us from what easy or difficult presumably are pointing at. Because it turns it around to how I feel. And of course, that's where we get trapped, entangled. So it throws us back into mind, into thought. And then from there, relying on the other five senses, a logical mind organizes incoming expressions to what appears to make sense. You may remember a quote that Evelyn Underhill once, uh, she describes that process. She says, we sort, accept, reject, combine, and then produce from the impressions a concept, which is, we say, the external world. And then we attribute our own sensations to the unknown universe. So the stars, we say, are bright, the grass is green, and so on. And then she goes on to say, that very quickly we see that this sense world, sense world, this seemingly real, quote unquote, external universe, though it may be useful and valid in other respects, cannot be the external world, but only the self's projected picture of it. It's what Jürgen felt, realized. He's living in a, in a alternate reality, completely trapped in it, looking at reality, not knowing how to jump into it. Sad, isn't it? So she says, this is the self-projected picture of it, and as Master, Master Kyogen said, paper cakes will not satisfy one's hunger. Of course, it's not satisfying to us spiritually. Or on any other level, we're never satisfied. Paper cakes. The more we eat, the more we want. No nutritional value. The more we read, the more we want to read. The more we talk, the more we want to talk. The more we question, the more we want to question. It's not surprising that we walk around feeling dissatisfaction, incompleteness, 
and separate from all around us and, and the universe we live in. We wall ourselves. And then everything other here goes on to say, it is a work of art, not a scientific fact. And was it may well possess the profound significance proper to great works of art. It is dangerous if treated as a subject of analysis. It works. Really. It's dangerous if treated as a subject of analysis. Very slight investigation shows that it is a picture whose relation to reality is at best symbolic and approximate, and which would have no meaning for other people whose senses or channels of communication happen to be arranged upon a different plan. We all have a different plan, because we all feel different. What we feel different about is not different, but we feel different and therefore must be different. Just the evidence of the senses then cannot be accepted as evidence of the nature of ultimate reality. I love that. She said, there are useful servants, but dangerous guides. So she's not rejecting. We're not rejecting anything. Zen does not. Buddhism never does reject. But dangerous guides, if we rely on them, it leads us to the world we live in, to the destruction we create, to hatred, to conflicts, to question, to doubt. You know, it is a work of art, not a scientific fact. reminds me of Aikido too, you know, we, Aikido's essence is not found in the technical details. It actually is revealed when we forget them. And all I'm saying is echoing what all senses said, learn and forget, learn and forget. He said, I said, let the techniques become part of your being. Embody that. Forget about it. Don't try to memorize techniques. Don't try to memorize names. That takes you away from Aikido's essence. You want to learn Aikido? Forget about Aikido. Show up. Get on the mat. Forget who you are. Forget your questions. And trust that through practice, it will repeat itself. through practice, through experience. So if we can rely on what we know to provide an accurate sense of reality, we can rely on our personal, logical, and self-organized version of it. What do we rely on? Stepping out of what is commonly acceptable, out of the conventional, and stepping into what seems to us and to others as 
weird, silly, stupid, strange, unacceptable, something we are afraid of. There's a phrase that says, if you see the strange as not strange, the strangest, the strangeness disappears of itself. If you see the strange as not strange, it's not strange. Because it's not judged. But again, it's a process, it takes time, and that's okay. As long as we keep practicing, that's okay. So this is how Shushan is dealing with this question, what is Buddha? He throws away the convention. Or he pulls the rug from under its, this guy's feet, from under all cushions. What is Buddha? Right? The question. And he says, a new bride rides the donkey. Her mother-in-law leads it by the bridle. Now back in those days in China, family duty was considered most important. So when a woman got married, she was expected to respect the mother-in-law. And so she would be the one leading the donkey, and the mother-in-law would be the one riding the donkey. Not in reverse. That was unheard of at that time. Well, I think in our time, both versions are unheard of, so... <laughs> but we have our own versions of it. But the point he's really raising is, is it's not what is acceptable. It's not what you are accustomed to. And at the same time, it's not rejecting what you are accustomed to. It's just that your question comes from that. It comes from the mother-in-law on the donkey and the new bride leading it. So in order to go to where the question comes from, he flips it for us. The new bride is on the People would laugh at that. People would ridicule this new bride. Don't you know better? Don't you know your duties? How could you, how could you do that? How dare you let the mother-in-law, she's old. You have to respect her. How dare you do what you do? come to practice, take all this time, sit. That's stupid. I think some people actually say that, but a lot of people think that. You know, in the commentary to this, Shishin Roshi mentioned that, and he's a successor of Maizumi, he said that somebody once asked Maizumi Roshi, what is the purpose of Zen? And Maizumi Roshi said, to be stupid. To be stupid. Well, we don't ask questions to be stupid. We ask questions to be wiser. 
to be brighter, to know more. To be stupid. To turn things upside down, right side up. In fact, this is what has been passed on to us from generation to generation. Transmitted to me to pass on to us, to all of us, so we can embody that stupidity. How do we understand what is, what is meant by being in a state of stupidity? try to analyze, compare, judge this, you're already entering the realm of intricate thought. The clever talk. And this is the point. The point Maizumi Roshi brings up, the point Shushan is bringing up, the point of what we practice. Why do we practice? You know, we, we often encounter that as practitioners. People ask, you know, why, why do you do this? And then we try to explain, and then we get so frustrated because we are entering, by trying to explain, we're entering the realm where the question comes from. Instead of trying to pull that out of the person who is asking, which sometimes works, most times doesn't, but instead of doing that skillfully, we actually step into the mud and drown together with the person who is asking. And at the end of that, feel depleted. And actually, sometimes, even feel less encouraged to practice. Start to question our own practice. Maybe I don't understand. Maybe I'm stupid. Maybe you are. Is that a problem? You know, those questions come from a, a structured mind, minds, with a voracious appetite for information. Minds that want to sustain itself by satisfying intellectual curiosity. A mind that views stupidity as enemy. Do we identify with such a mind? We walk around with this kind of mind, but do we identify? to be logical? Does it have to match anything, look like anything, sound like anything? Reshuffle everything. And then what? And then you cannot even find the card that has the question on it. What do you need? Dangerous guides, as Evelyn Underhill says. Useful tools, dangerous guides. Now, Shushan 
teacher is gone, there's a Rinzai teacher. And apparently all Rinzai lineages can be traced to him. He lived in the 10th century. He was the only successor of his uh, teacher, Master Feng Zhui, in the Rinzai lineage. One day, there's a dialogue between them, the one day when Xu Shang was in attendance of his teacher, Feng Shui said tearfully, tearfully, he was crying, tragically, the way of Rizai will perish with me. He actually felt that. And Xu Shang asked, among the monks, is there no one who can carry on? Is there no one who you can transmit the Dharma to? Feng Shui said, well, there are many clever ones here. But few who see self-nature. And Shushan said, Is there no one in particular that you would want to transmit? And Feng said, Although I've watched for a long while, still I'm afraid that as for this path, I can't pass it on to anyone. All these people come here and trap themselves. They don't see what's right there in front of their eyes. And Shushan said, it should be possible. Please tell me more about this. So later, Feng Shui entered the hall with the blue lotus eyes of the world honored one. He gazed across the assembled monks and he said, the time has come for you to speak out. He probably felt like he's close to death the end of his life. Time to give it one last chance. When he says, time to speak. If you say nothing, you will have buried the ancients. He left the responsibility on us, on our shoulders. But what will you say? Nashusha shook his sleeves, got up, went away. Pedro then threw down his staff and returned to his room. His attendant followed him and asked, why can't Shushan face you? And Feng Shui said, Shushan understands. The next day, Shushan and a monk named Zhen Yuantu were talking to Feng Shui. Feng Shui asked Zhen, what, it is, what is it that the world honored one didn't say? What did he say? Jen said, the dove crows in the treetop. Feng Shui looked at him and said, why say these silly verses? Why don't you grasp and embody the words? Why don't you live it? Then Feng Shui asked Shushan, how about you? Shushan said, in deportment, uphold the ancient road, not letting the silent function fall. Then, Feng Shui said to Zhen, why can't you see what Shushan is saying? I can, I can imagine, right, and how he said that. He's sad. After all this time, he's attending, standing right there. Why can't you see? Why are you asking? What is Buddha? Why can't you see? Why can't you embody 
Why do you complicate? Why do you trap yourself? Why do you claim to not be it? And he said it with, in a caring way, in a loving way, wanting his students to see. It's the greatest compassion, wanting them to see and to wake up. Why can't we see? Now, these stories are always about us. <clears throat> the verse says, when a bride rides a donkey, her mother-in-law leads it by the bridle. Just that. The appearance is graceful and truly natural. Just that. How laughable. The girls in the neighborhood imitate a frowning face. This simply adds ugliness for other people. It never makes them more beautiful. And this is from an old Chinese story about a beautiful woman named Zixi, who was considered to be most beautiful and attractive at that time. Whenever she had a cramp or stomach pain, she would grimace and pain, and everybody thought that she looked even more beautiful. So some of the less attractive girls in the village tried to imitate her, but it only made them less attractive, more ugly. So, not to imitate, not to, not to be blind to what Dogen said when he said, every creature fully covers the ground on which it stands. Everybody has it. Everybody is it. In fact, it's beauty searching for beauty. And in that process, it makes itself ugly. Because it does not realize its own beauty. So, we are not beautiful. We are beauty itself. You know, if you say this is beautiful, there's already that which can say this is ugly. And the beautiful that you're looking at is not really about what you're looking at, but it's about your feelings of what you look at. The feelings that arise at the time of encounter. which takes us away from actualizing beauty. Nobody knows that when a snake becomes a dragon, it doesn't change its scales. When a mortal becomes a sage, he doesn't change his face. He knows his mind through internal wisdom knows itself through internal wisdom and takes care of his body through external discipline. Show up. Know who you are, know who you're not, and show up. Get this body moving. 
One hour sleep, no sleep, eight hours sleep. Doesn't matter. External discipline. Famous saying, if you want to attain suchness, you should practice suchness without delay. Being that you're already all such a person, why worry about such a thing? Sounds cute, but maybe more so in English. But if you want to attain suchness, practice suchness without delay. If you want to attain equanimity, practice equanimity. If you want to attain harmony, do it. Do it. Do it now. Without delay. Finish with this uh, quote from Zen master Ji King Daofu, who lived about 150 years earlier, Confucian. Once he entered the hall, addressed the monks, and said, If you have not yet already realized the great matter that is before us today, then listen carefully to what I say and see if it hits them all. If it hits them all, then then, why does, your why does your understanding of it have some special quality? Why does it have, why is it so special? If it hits the mark. It is only because it has been a long time since you have left your homes and you have traveled for so many years. During this whole time, you have merely experienced the conditions and dust of the world. This is called turning your back on enlightenment and facing the dust. Which means we see what we bring with us. Or, he says, forsaking your father and running away. Today I urge you all to not give up, not turn away. Wouldn't it be disappointing if you, children of the great worthies, did not exert yourself in this manner? Throughout the day, look everywhere for the official road. But don't come asking me to give you the official road. Don't ask me who is Buddha, what is Buddha. Look at it. Live it. Practice it. Be it. 